0: I think that's how you make that human connection is just being a regular, real, normal person. And it is tough learning how to interpersonally, learning how to deal with those emotions or seeing other people going through through those emotions. And you're right that you don't wanna be cold, Mm -hmm. um, but you also can't get so wrapped up in them that you can't do your job.
1: Welcome back to Leading Lights. My name is Somia. My name is Hema. And today we have Victor Sweeney, who you may know from his very famous Wired interview. So before we get started, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure. So my name is Victor M. Sweeney. I'm a licensed funeral director. Uh, I live up in the middle of nowhere uh, in Northwestern Minnesota. I have a wife and four children and I've been licensed since 2013 uh, in both North Dakota and Minnesota.
2: So I feel like the first thing I thought of when we got you on was how did you end up becoming a mortician? Like, what is your story? So could you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Sure. Um, you know, I alluded to it a little bit in my videos. Um, the long and short of it, ladies, is that I uh, was around death quite a bit when I was a kid. So over the course of a decade, let's say from the time I was ten until I was twenty, we had about ten deaths in the family—so aunts and uncles, grandparents, um, and then other people that I knew as well. So uh, was around it a fair bit growing up. Um, My sister, who was born before me, she died the same day she was born, and so we always grew up going to her grave and cleaning it off. That's part of the ritual, right? Uh, So every time I visit my parents, where my mom grew up back in Michigan, uh, we would go and clean off Kate's graves. That was something that we were always exposed to. So I think that's part of it. And then I guess the other portion of that is that I always wanted to be a Catholic priest. That's what I always wanted to be uh, since the time I was a little kid. So in that regard, once I discerned that I was not called to do that, I was really trying to figure out what I could do. And so I stumbled into funeral service more or less uh, and found that it was a very good fit. It was something that I was familiar with and it has a, a pastoral aspect. In addition to the the sciencey parts and the business parts, uh, there is this pastoral aspect of guiding people through uh, a very difficult time and, and maybe helping people through something they're not that familiar with. So there was the ability to help people that was really attractive too. And so then I studied for four years. I received my bachelor's degree at the University of Minnesota in the Twin Cities. That'd be a Minneapolis, St. Paul, and uh, have been working in a licensed capacity ever since.
1: When you figured out, like, it took you some time to figure out you wanted to become a mortician, but once you yeah. had figured out that, what was the reaction like from your peers and your community?
0: Yeah, that is a really good question. Um, so, so there is, you know, I, I imagine the podcast is being geared towards people that are looking for careers. I did spend a very long time discerning this before I ended up pursuing it, so probably a year, right? I, I think the idea was planted maybe sophomore year of high school, something like that. And then over time, I slowly learned more and more about the profession. And then, yeah, I met a funeral director. He helped me get a job working at a funeral home. So I was 17 or 18, you know, just wandering around wearing a suit, like dusting off caskets and vacuuming and like doing nothing of any real consequence. Um, but it was important, I think, to get in the door. And then to answer your question about my peers, uh, they thought it was very weird. <laughs> um, it's, not really, it's not really something that's talked about. And maybe, at least from what it looks like in the comments, right, my, my YouTube video, uh, I think, really gave people a look into my profession that maybe you wouldn't otherwise get. People aren't talking about this on a regular basis until it happens to you, right, or someone you love. You're not really thinking about funeral directors, um, especially when you're, you know, in high school. <laughs> so yeah, people were really taken aback by it. I think, um, but I think the reality is, if you if you were to meet a funeral director in real life, I think you're going to find that the majority of them are probably more like me than not. So pretty sociable, pretty, you know, for lack of a better word, normal people. Uh, but the, the trick is getting to know them before you like need to know them, if you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a good question so, though. So I know you you just mentioned the Wired video and I think that played a really large role, even with us, like watching that video kind of changed our entire perception on uh, like what a mortician or like a funeral director looks like, acts like, Sure. I, how did that like change? How do you think that changed other people's perception of you?
0: that that is a really good question. Um, you know, it was, it was really, it was really strange for me. I have to say the video, when it hit around 4 million views, I kind of freaked out, uh, because it happened in a very short period of time and it had all these comments. And I was really, I had kind of like an anxiety attack. I was like, this is huge. And like, you know, 4 million people have seen my face and now it's closer to 20. Uh, But I think I took a step back and I was like, you know, Victor, the thing is, nobody really knows you, right? They just saw you in this video. You're just some random face with like glasses and a tie. Like it doesn't really matter, (laughs) but it feels it's kind of freaky uh, when you're out there and you realize like so many people have seen you. Um, It probably helps that I live in a very small town. So everybody here already knows me. So I don't really get stopped on the street (laughs) so much. (laughs) Because everybody knows me here, and there aren't a whole lot of outsiders. Um, but no, I, I do think it, at least it seems like the video has changed a lot of people's perceptions. Again, I think it's just exposure to it, and and maybe I think that first video is kind of lightning in a bottle in some ways, hard to reproduce. Uh, because I, I at least I think I came across as fairly personable, yeah, and that's yeah. maybe not like the first word you think of when you think of a mortician or a funeral director right
2: <laughs> that's interesting so. i i'm i could attest to the fact that like if someone before i watched that video asked me what a mortician would like act like i guess i would not the first word would not be personable at all
0: but okay can i just put you in the hot seat what what would it be
2: i think it would just be tell me like, the truth <laughs> I, I don't mean to, like, make it sound how it is, but I guess, like, emotionless yeah. kind of uh, put, off, like, distance from their own emotions, I guess, not very, um, I don't know, like, what do you think?
1: I was going to say mysterious, because I think it's something that's really hard to understand for a lot of people who, I guess, aren't around that type of environment all the time, and I think like watching that Wired video, I think changed the perspective that a lot of people had on the career as a whole.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I also imagine like in your line of work, you have to um, know like where to put your own emotions aside and like maybe yeah. it, put up a barrier. So I guess that's how I would have imagined it's,
0: it. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an interesting balance. Um, I think, at least the morticians, the good ones that I know, they tend to do just like do the opposite of what you'd think. So most people would have that knee-jerk reaction uh, much like yourself, where you say like, Oh, the mortician is stoic and emotionless and he guides you, <laughs> you know? Um, but most of the good ones I know really put themselves into it. And and you you do feel sad and you do have uh conflicting things, right? Like you you have to, you're transacting a business, uh, but at the same time, like you have a family here and like, it's okay to get a little teary sometimes. And uh, I think that's how you make that human connection is just being a regular, real, normal person. And it is tough learning how to interpersonally, learning how to deal with those emotions or seeing other people going through through those emotions. And you, you're you right that you don't wanna be cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also can't get so wrapped up in them that you can't do your job.
2: Right. So it
0: is. It's a very strange balance, and at least in my experience, it's not really something you could teach. It's something you you learn by yourself in yourself as you go. Do so you that. Think, oh, go ahead. Do
2: you think like anyone could be a mortician if they try.
0: I don't know that. You know, it's funny because everyone always says. Uh, it, like, it always, it takes a special person to do that job. And yeah. I, I think that's true. Um, largely, I think it takes a special person to do any job. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I couldn't be an accountant. One, I don't like numbers that much and I'm not that patient. So uh, like that would take a special person to do that job, which I would think would be incredibly boring, but some <laughs> people like it, right? So what does it take a special person? yes. I tend to think along the lines of vocation, right? So a vocation is something that for lack of a better word, right? Like you are born to do, or you are selected to do, right? It's, it's this thing you must do. Um, So I think in some ways anyone could learn to do it, but there is like a very different kind of person who just has to do it, right? Like I, I've had job offers in different fields and it would be really great not to be like on call every other night, every other weekend. If somebody dies, like I'm going at three in the morning, it would be nice to not be tied down like that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But at the same time, I just have this inner feeling that I must do what I'm doing. And I can't, not that I can't do anything else. I can do whatever I wanted, but I can't, not do this, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I, and yeah, I, I don't know how to teach that to someone. And I do think that people go into my profession or they seek out a mortuary science degree like I have. Um, and they do it maybe without that kind of introspection beforehand. So you learn how to do the practical things, right? The hands on uh, body work, if you will. Uh, but they don't have that kind of inner stability or emotional capacity um, or like this weird drive to have to do this job that I think it requires. But could, like, could I teach you girls how to embalm? I absolutely could. <laughs> uh, and it would be, you know, it, it, it takes some getting used to, right? Like it's a very natural, uh, a very natural, I don't want to say fear, but there is this inbuilt kind of repulsion that I think we have to a dead human body yeah. that you have to get over. But if, if I could get you over that, I could teach you the mechanics of it, but I think the dealing with the, peop- the living people is probably the more challenging and uh, uh, emotionally trying part of the job.
1: Aside from like the emotional education part of it and kind of building up that awareness, what was the process of like getting the certified to become a mortician? Because I think that's something that a lot of people don't really know about is how you actually become one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you know, aside from the fact that I, I think in some ways you are made for it, uh, the practicality of it, um, if anyone were asking how to become a mortician, I would say the first thing you should do is go get a job in a funeral home. And that was advice that was given to me and I took it. And I'm glad I did. So I worked at a funeral home in high school, at the end of high school. I worked at a funeral home through college. And then uh, how it's broken down in my state. So here's the thing, every state has different requirements. So some states, uh, they require you to get an associate's degree in mortuary science, or maybe it's an associate's degree in you know whatever, and then you have to pass certain tests to become a mortician. Um, in the state of Minnesota, um, to practice, you have to have a bachelor's degree um, in mortuary science or the equivalent of a bachelor's degree. And then you have to pass what's called the national board exam. So there's a, a national board of funeral directors that designs a really, really long test <laughs> that tests you on uh, body preparation and ethics and uh, rules and regulations, You know the 10,000 other things you have to know. Um, and then, in addition to the national board, there's the state board, uh, and in Minnesota, weirdly enough, um, the n- state board is actually more difficult than the national board. Um, so Minnesota's laws, for whatever reason, are more stringent than the country generally. <laughs> so there's yeah, there, there's like uh, so there's a lot of steps. So I went from high school, working at a funeral home. I did two years um, of pre-mortuary. So in my case, I went to uh, a state college. And most state colleges, not every, will have some kind of like, I don't know, I feel like it's a bogus pre-mortuary program. Like mine, mine was, uh, was under zoology, right? Because they don't really know where to put us. There aren't that many of us anyway. So, so I was under zoology for two years. And then after I finished my prerequisites, I got into mortuary school at the University of Minnesota. I did two years there. And then you have an internship, your national boards, your state boards, and then you have—I um, uh, know there's like some other time prior to licensure. So there's—it's it, pretty. It's not like it's complicated, but there are quite a few steps or uh, hoops you have to jump through before you get fully licensed.
2: Is there a lot of competition in this career?
0: Um, that is—that's ah, a—that's a tough one. Yes and no. So. There is a shortage of morticians in most states. Mm -hmm. Um, As we're seeing the baby boomers age. Yeah. They're not expecting there to be enough morticians to kind of uh, fill the gap. Um, So there's a shortage. There are plenty of people getting their mortuary degrees. So there are um, like online certifications or online degree programs that you can do. So there there are plenty of people pursuing degrees. the real trick is getting people to stay in the profession. So I've been out of college for nine years and I actually looked up all of my classmates recently at the university of Minnesota. So at the time I was, there, I looked up all my classmates and only 52% of them are still practicing morticians. So just, I mean, it's actually more than half have stayed, which is I think abnormal, but to think that, you know, around half, have quit or are doing something else is not really a great retention yeah. um, or for a, for a field. So we can have as many people apply as we want, but if half of them are dropping out, you know, in less than a decade, uh, that's not a great sign.
2: So you say we like, you finish all of the, the entire process. Now, what does like a normal work day look like for you?
0: there ladies there's no normal there's no normal work day um it all depends on really who dies and that's that's the kind of beauty of it in some ways because you don't you don't know what your day is going to look like it could be anything right and that's that's kind of fun sometimes Uh, at the same time it makes it very difficult to plan things because you never really know when you're working
1: right
0: so you could you could say oh i'm going to go home early today and then five minutes before you're ready to leave someone dies, you're in the car for a half an hour, you get them back, you're working on them for two hours. And then like, you know, that's the rest of your, rest of your night is, is full with work. So it, yeah, it's nice. There's a lot of variety, uh, but at the same time uh, it's, consistency is tough. My, uh, my wife, uh, my career has allowed us to do a lot of things, but my wife, Really likes to uh, uh, personify, you know, Mister Funeral Service and blame him for many things, uh, because the, the, you know, the reality is like we could do this, but Funeral Service is getting in the way, right? right. Or, or I want to, uh, I want to run to the store real quick, but Funeral Service uh, stopped me on my way, and now I have something I have to do instead, you know. So it's, it can get a little troublesome at times, uh, but I think that, that drive to, like, want and to love to serve other people in the way that I, I know best usually trumps the inconvenience of that. So.
1: How would you say that your day-to-day life and your career differed from your expectations of the career when you're preparing?
0: Yeah, that's such a good question. Okay, so this, <laughs> ladies, this is the reason why every young or aspiring female director that has reached out to me, and I've had quite a number of them do so, um, everyone that's done that, I, I told them, first thing you do, go get a job at a funeral home. Like, just be around it. because yeah. um, I, I think you do get a flavor for the reality of it. Um, I had some of my classmates, actually, uh, went through the program, got their four-year degree, finished their national boards, knew all the, you know, the book and paper stuff, and then got into the funeral home. And they're like, this stinks. Like, it's not that fun. I don't like working with people. Uh, the hours are long and irregular. I quit. And so uh, that would be an example of someone whose expectation was just totally off, right? I think people do see the job as kind of glamorous. Um, and I don't know, There, I think it's like because we wear a tie and we drive a Cadillac, you know, <laughs> people think that's like a great status symbol. Um, I really think of myself as like a, a white collar plumber or uh, something like a waiter sometimes like at a restaurant, like all I do is I have just like the, uh, service industry job. Like all I do is exactly what people tell me to do. And I bend over backwards and I do it in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, I work weekends and holidays and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think people maybe come in with the expectation that it's going to be all like suits and ties and Cadillacs. And all you have to do is, uh, say, Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. And then like, you know, embalm bodies or something, but it's not It's not like that. It's way more like person to person, uh, I don't know, social stuff that I think people don't aren't always ready for maybe.
2: Yeah, that's crazy. I I guess I even I never thought of it like it going beyond what you said, right? Like doing like the bombing and kind of, I guess, surface level consoling, but I guess it, it must go deeper than that.
0: Yeah. And, and part of it too, you know, the, the embalming is like its own weird thing. It's almost like two jobs though, ladies, because you have like, you're the funeral planner and you're the guy that's telling the family, like, here's how we do this. Here's what I can help you with. You're guiding them through this big event and this really weird time. Uh, But then you're also in the background, like getting grandma ready and draining the blood from her body and, you know, lining up everything that has to go with that and making sure we don't have, you know, I don't know any other problems with that. Like it's, it's just this, it's like two separate jobs morphed together. Um, And they're very, I mean, I don't know for sure, but at least in Minnesota um, and certainly in my area, there are very few people that get to do like half the job. Mm -hmm. So there are very few people that are just embalmers, which would be great. Like some days I would love to just be an embalmer and like Sit in the back room and get bodies ready all day and not have to deal with people or phone calls or any of that. That'd be great. Um, and some days it'd be really nice to just be the arranger where all you have to do is like the person to person stuff and you don't have to see, you know, uh, someone who is killed in a car crash with their head split open, you know, things like that. You don't have, you know, it'd be great to just sometimes have one or the other, but I do think that the mix of the two is what really uh, keeps people going. It really, it makes the job kind of a dynamic job. And with the unreliability of schedule, you get to wear both hats in a day sometimes, which is kind of nice.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode and make sure to keep out a lookout for part two coming out in early July.
2: Also make sure to check us out on all streaming platforms, as well as follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Lights underscore pod.